This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Suvrat Bansal, who is the founder of Clarista.io. So Suvrat, thank you very, very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Excited to be part of this. Now I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. So you're, you're East Coast USA, Suvrat, right? I am indeed. Okay. So kind of early afternoon, your time, um, early evening, our time. So let's jump into it then. So obviously where we always start by asking our guests to give themselves, I guess, a, a brief introduction into their background and, and journey up until this point, if, uh, if you'd be so kind. Sure, I'll keep it short. Look, I grew up in India, uh, did my engineering uh, there, and then later in the career, you know, pursued my MBA in finance from Columbia University. Uh, coming out of engineering, you know, just like most of the initial jobs are, I found myself um, doing data for a global bank, Citigroup, actually, those days. And so that just happened to be, you know, doing something which I ended up really liking, ended up really getting becoming good at it. So I spent one third of my career, almost half my career in engineering side of data analytics. And look, this is uh, late 90s, right? So I graduated in 96. So every time I was walking into a job, it was the job didn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, so someone hires me as, hey, you know, data architect for investment banking, what didn't exist before, right? So so, uh, because the data is a topic, those days on engineering front was new, right? People were, at least on the banking front, were mostly Bloomberg terminals and spreadsheets and finance systems, Uh, but had a keen focus on how to start connecting those dots and instituting those engineering frameworks. So I had a huge benefit of getting into kind of a ground up engineering concept, right? Like build things from scratch, build teams from scratch, you know, engagement models and and results, of course, which come with it. And then uh, I think, almost like around uh, 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 like halfway into my career or maybe shorter, I think I decided to really look at, okay, you know, we can do this engineering side, but how do we broaden the value proposition of data, right? And I was just very fortunate. I was working for Morgan Stanley, just a tremendous franchise to give a lot of exposure and tremendous uh, mentors, right, to give you that advice. And I talked to training desk and research teams. And I think everyone kept highlighting how data was becoming more important. And this is early 2000. Right. Uh, so the journey has never been different in terms of business teams recognizing the value of data, the challenges they face from, you know, through, through the start of my career through now 
So I converted my role post my MBA to really start thinking about broadening the impact of data analytics, working for the CEOs who are best positioned, right? They have the broadest view of the organization in terms of what's going on in enabling PNL as well as in managing the cost and the risk frameworks and really deploy data into that three-dimensional space of opportunities, uh, cost reduction and risk reduction. Every time I've done something, I always advise people to map everything across those three dimensions and you'll find yourself doing things which can generally meet all three dimensions by doing things right instead of going after one dimension at a time, right? Uh, and data is uniquely positioned to do that, right? Sometimes systems are not, processes are not, but data is. Uh, so I think that has been my journey, very, very fulfilling journey. And then, you know, we'll talk more about my reason to leave a pretty satisfying kind of corporate career to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. Uh, but but that's the background. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously it was when we was preparing for recording today, uh, so right, we were obviously, you know, looking through your experience and obviously some very large names there right which are very impressive resume so you mentioned Citigroup and obviously Morgan Stanley and then there was Credit Suisse and and UBS right what always uh, just and this is more of a personal curiosity to be honest with you more so than anything else but after so long in the corporate world what was it that made you decide that okay now is the time for me to take the leap and you know go open your own business what what was the kind of instigator to that? Yeah, so uh, look, I think during my time at UBS, I think there was a fundamental shift I was seeing, uh, which was building up slowly in last 10 years, but it started to really, really grow in last five years. And there were many factors, Kyle, which I'll go into, but let's just pick an example of a particular financial services industry, let's say, you know, buy side, investment management, wealth management. Uh, A combination of regulatory landscape changes, right, post-financial crisis. Uh, which imposed certain right things, right, on the business models, but that restricted the capability of some older methods of generating PNL, right? Think about proprietary trading. Uh, think about uh, the sell-side research, right, and its alignment with investment banking and regulators looking for more independence. So it forced these business models to innovate. If you want to make money when regulations are kind of asking you to be prudent about certain things and to have a boundary, right, so that there is no conflict of interest, you have to innovate. So there was innovation happening as a result of business model changes. There was innovation happening as a result of globalization. And that globalization, people talk about it, but like think about a global company getting into China market, right? I mean, I've done things like Middle East market development, China market development. I know what it takes to really get that going, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third part of innovation, which was always happening was the high-tech innovation, right? So you're suddenly looking at the pressure points of innovation with the opportunities getting created through innovation with the tech innovation. I mean, you can't ask for a better amalgamation, right? Of Mm -hmm. all these forces coming together and it's not one industry. You take retail, it's the same thing happening there. Pressure points, right? Amazon imposing that pressure point on digitalization and really cost efficiencies. So a lot of industries were going through that chart, not just financial services. And it was creating tremendous amount of opportunities, right? Now, in last five years, what has started to happen is that because of the fundamental shifts in these business models and the opportunities which are getting created, you can no longer sit with a closed ecosystem, right? And when you no longer sit with that, what it means is you have more partners, you have more outsourcing, you have more SaaS usage. 
Yeah. You have more data being created everywhere, which you want to look at and analyze things, right? I was just talking to a VC firm, right? Look, just look at the tremendous growth in the VC environment because mm-hmm. of the liquidity. And they are like getting all kinds of data from the companies they invest in. How do they analyze it, right? So there has been a general growth in, in the data analysis and, and the driving value from data because of these secular trends, right? Mm-hmm. And these are not temporary. They're going to grow. So the question you have to ask yourself is, in my position, I had done three of these leadership roles on business side. I had done a pretty significant leadership role on the engineering side. The question I had to ask was, what like three things I looked at, right? Is the problem big enough, right? And is it growing? Because if it's just a static problem, there are enough smart players in the marketplace who can you know, go after it. So is it growing in size for next 10 years, right? The second part is, as an entrepreneur, do I understand both the demand and the supply side of it, right? Yep. And then the third part is, can as an entrepreneur, can I solve it better than the competition, right? Because the competition here is massive, right? Multi-billion dollar companies, cloud providers. So I took a very like a research-oriented approach, asking a lot of people and came out convinced that this problem of analyzing data fast and creating personalized value on data, which we are still missing in the industry. We're still trying to create this behemoth structure centrally, yeah. right? And the, the value realization of it, Kyle, which is the, 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 you know, we'll talk more and more about this particular topic is the value realization has to be personal. And we have almost forgotten the third leg, right? Call it the last mile problem, call it the third leg of this tool. We are investing so heavily in the first two legs of acquisition and management that we are almost thinking, yeah, the BI is still the solution for the third leg. That's mm. 20 years old. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I think something had to be done and you can't do certain things like this with one firm at a time. You can't scale that, right? Because first of all, how do you convince a firm to invest the same amount of capital towards solving this problem when you truly believe that's a problem which needs to be solved for the industry? Yeah. Right? So I think there, there are quite a few factors which made me believe, uh, which I shared with you, why it's the right time to do something at an mm. industry level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that makes sense. Look, I agree with everything you, you've said, right? So it, what fascinates me about this industry, and as you very rightly said, you know, the the appetite for data within businesses has, has always been there, really, even back to the early 2000s and probably yeah. long, long, long before that, right? It's just yeah. we live in a world now where, is more exposure and more visibility to see that attraction and attention towards um, t- t- towards the world that we live in, which is is obviously good news. So, okay, great. Let's keen to jump into the topic, but obviously g- give us you know the the overview on Clarista, then kind of you know what what, what you set about doing, what what kind of you know what type of work you're doing, who you're doing it for, that type of good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So just building upon what led me to jump into this opportunity, that last mile problem of personalized value creation, it's a tough nut to crack, right? And the reason why so much investment continues to go sequentially into the first two layers of acquisition and management, because it has been tough. So we really distributed the problem of that last mile into three key dimensions again. One is data availability, right? Now, why we are doing this, why we are focused on this last mile is because what fundamentally realized, and I think McKinsey has done some really good research on it, that the rapid iteration of make putting data in the hands of the people, which is relevant to them, and letting them drive the insights which can make them, which can generate the right decision for them at that given time, 
Yeah. And every word here is very important, right? The rapid access, rapid iteration and discovery for that given time. Because a lot of what people do is temporal, right? A lot of what companies were doing during COVID time was the temporality of that time. Yep. Yes, it leaves some checks and balances forever for the companies to react to such events in the future. But at that time, you're doing certain analysis which matters. Like in financial services, we deal with this all the time. In healthcare, we deal with this all the time. There's certain things which emerge in a market, in a country, in a geolocation, which require that analysis quickly to make a quick decision which is relevant to you, and then it just goes away, right? Our data structures are not suitable for that kind of discovery. Mm -hmm. We have left all of this for 20 years to spreadsheets, documents, <laughs> and keyboards, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's fine, right? That's fine, that's working somehow, it's coming together, it's not efficient. And it reduces the opportunities which are out there to harness data more you know, suitably. So in Clarista, we solve these problems in the form of first dimension, make data ubiquitously available irrespective of where it sits. Second dimension, once you've made it available, if you force people to take it down to Excel, to another monolithic tool, like an isolated tool, it's not shareable because now you produce something there and it's stuck there, right? That perfect, you know, this, this, the, the data genius, data scientists face this all the time with notebooks, right? Localized data, localized production, can't share it with the management team, right? Mm. So once the ubiquitous data availability, integrated analytics to drive analytics through that real-time data access. And at the end of the day, remember that this is not another kind of, you know, a standalone tool. This is for enterprises. So build the critical governance enablers as enablers. Don't go after them as, oh, I need to now put a data governance solution. Right? That's all fine. And we'll come to that. Everything has a place. But ensure that there are access controls. So the people should get what they're supposed to get. Ensure that there are privacy controls so you can classify the information. So the last mile problem is difficult and why people have been trying to do this sequentially is because they think all of that has to be addressed beforehand. But the fundamental problem in that is that that restricts discovery. So 90% of the information which people discover in entire my, all my experience, which is not operational, right? So your bread and butter business operations is different, but anything else people discover and analyze, 90% of it gets not used mm. it's, or gets used one time, right? Very small percentage of it is found useful on a repetitive basis. If you take a sequential approach, you have no, no option but to aggregate 100% of it. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's going to take time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then if you try to perfect it, oh, I need to link it perfectly. I need to quality test it perfectly. You'll be just doing perfection for years. And then the, you know, the world moves on, right? The temporality <laughs> factor kills it, right? Yep. So I think Clarissa is solving not only a problem of today in that way, but we have a fundamental belief that this problem is growing very fast, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And I think a lot of it will come down to, and it's not just us, industry will see this problem growing very fast. and they will realize that there is a place for the sequential step and controls and governance, but then there is a place to do that in a much more agile way yeah. with a very light infrastructure footprint. And that has to be there. If you're making this costly and expensive to run, then you're no better off, right? Uh, so that's what we're doing in Clarista. And we, you know, I'm very happy with the way things are coming together. Our initial focus is clearly financial services, domain and context matters a lot. Uh, people respond to that, right? So we are focusing on that and are clearly, you know, ongoing dialogues, early stages healthcare. Huge nice. opportunity, right? We are clearly very interested in retail over time, but, you know, one step at a time. So 
we are still in the box stage, right? We are not running. <laughs> nice, nice. No, I mean, all of that makes perfect sense, what you've just said. And I think, you know, we're starting to see a big shift across, you know, across the world, right, into kind of this um, product type mindset, right? Yeah. You know, where... Uh, you know, I guess for years we've tried to tackle this data problem in its entirety, right? You know, it needs to be centralized. It needs to be enterprise-wide and we'll go and we'll collect all the data. We'll build a centralized platform or lake or warehouse or whatever the case may be. And, and as you said, just the agility to respond to opportunities or threats at a more local level and, you know, the inability to spin something up, which is fit for purpose for something that can provide value and ROI pretty quickly is yeah. is almost impossible when you're trying to do it at such scale, right? Which is it's no surprise to hear me see that you're starting to to kind of pin into that, which is which is really interesting. I guess what do you see then, sort of right, in terms of the key challenges that most firms end up facing when they're trying to get to this point of value realization? Because we've I mean we've been speaking about this for donkey's years now right you know yeah. there's so yeah. much investment in data but we're not you know most businesses aren't actually seeing the the kind of returns that they were hoping to see the value isn't what they were hoping it was going to be etc so what, what are the main challenges what do you think is causing that yeah i i think look if you really think about the same part i was talking about there is a opportunity enablement which is the value drive right then there is this cost and the risk part right majority of the data work is stuck in the latter two, mm. right? With the hope that if you do the latter two right, the first one will emerge naturally. Never happens, <laughs> never happens. <laughs> and the reason is because the value is very personalized. It's like very kind of, you know, think about research teams, right? A three people research team, that's how they operate, that's how they think. It's very personal to them, you know, what information they're looking at, what articles they're reading. You can't generalize that stuff. Right. And you also can't scale yourself as a CDO team at that personalized level. So the biggest challenge CDOs have is, yes, I want to help. I have these three dimensions to control. I have a really broken footprint of quality, uh, data linking, et cetera. Should I correct everything there and then expose a well-defined data set, which is useful for day-to-day -day operations? Or do I start really driving value? Which is in their mind vague, right? Because it's some, sometimes it's more about the, the beast I know best, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I just go after it. So I think the biggest challenge right now for the organizations are that they are still thinking, if I do the, you know, the, the basic kind of blocking, tackling, and, and quality, you know, I, I get to the value. So I asked this question recently in my LinkedIn post, uh, and this was posted by one of my clients, surprisingly. The client asked me, hey, Sirvar, do you think uh, usage of data drives data governance? Or does better data governance drives usage? So I like, look, I have my view, but I just asked the question and 83% response was usage drives governance. Of course, usage drives governance, right? Which takes us full circle to when people are generally more hungry to use more information, they're going to ask for that control. But remember, they're using it first, mm -hmm. right? If we continue to force the footprint of, no, we're going to manage first, guys. We're going to bring it in. We're going to manage it. We're going to perfect it. <laughs> they will never value governance, right? So my simple advice is irrespective of how CDOs need to figure it out. And, you know, we, I had my own lessons, right? Like I, we did, I did engineering. I was a very logical person. I'm like, okay, we need to get the basic frameworks right before we start 
delivering something all the way to know you have to engage and start delivering it now by keeping it very transparent let collectively let's figure out what the deficiencies are and is that information valuable enough to be invest to to invest in right mm-hmm. do you really want to operationalize it or do you like one and done i'm good you know i got what i wanted out of it so if you look at a lot of data science models people talk to me about all this like oh what percentage of data science models were productionized and i always turn back and say what do you think is the percentage of data science models which should be productionized majority of the data science models are run with temporality in mind on it's useful today give me the insights today get that information today i don't need it on a recurring basis why should i productionize this right but that's my point like people have these theoretical things in mind like without understanding the business context of where it gets applied mm-hmm. right? so i in my view i think driving that value realization right from the beginning even if it's basic right information delivery is value information access is value getting information into your landscape from wherever it's sitting is value don't try to perfect everything right let's let them so perfect example like why we build a quality a capability in clarista when we are focused on last mile people ask me this is because after doing all the quality checks you want to do right up front when someone is using that information they will think about quality very differently because it's very contextual to them it's not central framework if you try to force that back into the central framework it, that rule will be built in a week or a month and you know some person sitting somewhere is looking at that metric with no idea what's the impact of it on the business decision mm. so you have to bring some of this up front and you have to be little bit ready to say so who cares if we collectively identify gaps in it it's new right yeah don't do that to your basic business operations details right <laughs> 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 no don't find yourself getting fined by compliance in regulation but but i think you have to have a balance and that's where majority of the challenges right in my view of why the struggle is there and people talk about cultures and education it's all about enablement it's all about enablement if you and i are able to get some value out of what we think is data right we will only understand it within that context right mm-hmm. not some like oh we have a cdo function and they do quality and they do like you know they create a data culture and like and people are just like lose it you know <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean the the whole data management kind of sphere in general right everything around governance and quality and everything that comes with that has kind of gone through this real interesting resurgence right over the last probably 18 or so months it's kind of really seemed to pick up and i think that's partly down to what you said there right you know previously this and especially in a highly regulated uh, regulated environment like the ones that you've lived in right where you know governance or management of data is more around the defensive tactics right it was you know compliance risk Absolutely. let's make sure that we don't get fined whereas i think what we've realized now actually is that if data management and governance and quality and and that whole sphere if that is done well that can enable absolutely be- better analytics right so there's been almost this uh, to your point now yeah. that we're trying to use data and do analytics on data we're we're kind of realizing that oh, hang on this quality piece is important but not so that we don't get fined of course we yeah. don't want to get fined but actually if we focus on it the results out the other end might get better which is yeah. is is a really interesting concept now what i want to ask you so rise we talk about value realization and you've talked very heavily already in the first 20 minutes or so of this podcast about you know value is 
is personalized. It's personalized to the context. It's personalized to the individual person and what they see and what they interpret and what decisions they want to make and what insights they need to draw. How many businesses do you think set off on this journey with an understanding of what value is to them? Because I think that's what, that's a bit of a disparity that I see in that most businesses, and not all of them, but a lot of them will, they know it's important. They know there's value in this thing of data somewhere, but where, who knows? And they just kind of go gung-ho into building stuff and hiring people. And, you know, and then, yeah. you know, and then we get into this conversation further down the line of, okay, well, how do we actually get value out of this thing? And we've already spent, you know, $50 million, <laughs> you know? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. You're looking, you're right. Um, so this is a massive challenge for organizations for two reasons, right? One, that 90 plus percent whom we are talking about on the business side, they don't know the difference between technology and data, right? And they shouldn't actually, right? I mean, we have been talking about information technology had information in it. I mean, it's like, it's not like now we call it technology only, <laughs> right? So I think it was always a combined effort of flowing information through systems and, and get making it available to people at the right time. It's just that the, the, if you think about the job responsibilities of a CTO has also become very complex over time, right? Uh, number of systems, right? Small businesses have 400 of these things, legacy, uh, upgrades, servers, cloud migration, cybersecurity. I mean, there's no end to this. And not to forget, they have people management on top of it, right? So, mm -hmm. so I think you had to really say, look, I, I have all of this, and these are things we as a business decided to bring in, right? Like these, you know, the, the gifts of what I call gifts of Microsoft and Oracle, every little, you know, problem had a separate system, <laughs> right? And now all those things are just hanging loosely in an organization and data is flying all over system to system. So that's what every organization has, right? You can't change it day one. Uh, so you have to start thinking about, let me drive value on data through a separate kind of aligned, but separate set of people who are responsible. Doesn't matter where they sit, whether they sit in technology, they sit in business. Everyone has their own strong views about it. I frankly, like it's all about knowledge, right? If you understand the business, you understand the capabilities, you can sit wherever it, where it belongs. But the reason the struggle is because first of all, the business teams have no idea what the difference between tech and data is because they thought it's one thing and it should be delivering like one thing, mm -hmm. right? Secondly, for whatever reason, either the organizations have not figured out that you have to start the conversation with the PNF, right? Most of the conversations start with blocking, tackling, controls, right? Like I have this cost, I'm doing this transformation, I'm replacing this system. Of course, you're going to lose the data people back into the IT and operations world, right? So some of it is that's where the reporting lines are. So that's what they attend to. I mean, there are all kinds of issues. But the fundamental issue is that the leadership level who says I'm going to form a data organization should say, and the dialogues need to be with the business teams, right? They should be driving what they need, personalized, holistic, I don't care, right? You went there, whether you want to define it at a business level, function level, but it has to be that. So when I go in, I've been very fortunate early on to have leadership who drove that. And then later on, I was asking for that. So if I'll take a job, I'll say, look, as a part of that, here's the steering committee I'll need, right? Here are the members I need. And when they don't speak up, there are ways to engage them, right? So the topic can be boring to a lot of people. Like, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen all kinds of these sharing committee meetings and, you know, the, the soft challenges per se, you know, all that. So I think the best way to do it is to tell them 
first of all possibilities you know like engage them and invite people who can talk about that and what industry is doing make sure that before you start running and saying i'm going to do something for you you they are thinking differently right uh because a lot of time they'll say i i don't need anything not because they don't need anything it's just that no one has taken the time to tell them what's going on yeah right they're busy right so for for me starting with that and even if it was not the starting point is starting it now right is very very important then i tell you the second biggest challenge i face is they they are they are who they are right so it's very hard for business lines to give you representation in the form of i'll here is one person i can point you to who will represent my business needs or opportunities or what's the art of the possible right they don't have that so you have to accept that that it will need to be personal dialogue and you will need to take that responsibility but even though it sounds hard frankly that's where majority of the value will come from mm. right and in many cases that may lead to not just cdo doing something but forming a function within that pnl line right which is kind of you know how data people got created through a blend of technology and business so now you are creating another blend of like real business teams right who who are just focused on harnessing data yeah. right and cdos are now there to enable that right mm-hmm. so formation of those teams take time and in, in my previous organization took us 6 months but the identification was early that without that middle layer we won't succeed right it will come across like as a central something doing you know so enabling something let's enable that and you know a democratic model where weekly meetings were held with the researchers and the portfolio managers to generate ideas on companies to go after whatever data set they can they can need to have modelers who can then model it's a very fast process right when you think about it but it can't be done without the right layers uh and and having gone through that uh little too late in my life to be honest right i wish i i had seen some of it flipping the value proposition starting with you know the enablers even at the risk of sometimes yeah we we don't have it perfect right we'll help you to get what we need right now we don't have the best distributed architecture to process it we don't have the best people to analyze it but at least we can start to validate what's useful and start putting the effort towards it uh, i think that's what needs to happen and that's until that happens you'll see everything else just trying and failing to some extent right because the value realization is not happening yeah yeah absolutely i think obviously we've seen the the kind of um you know rise of the hub and spoke model right as we talk about it now yep. that seems to be quite successful for that reason right you know you've got a centralized capability that looks after the the foundations and the infrastructure of what needs to 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 be up and operational but you know yep. data people sat within business units and can kind of as you said it's it's it, it just makes that a little bit more personable to the yep. to the people within those teams right because it's contextual to what they're trying to achieve and they've got someone on the inside that can kind of tell them what's possible and can manage their expectations around because uh, I think that's one thing I certainly see with many business leaders that decide to go on this journey they know there's value in there somewhere you know if you ask them up front you know if we would you be willing to invest x if we can show you why of course 9 times out of 10 it's a yes of course but yeah. the the expectations around what it might cost how long it's going to take the absolute pain and heartache and you yeah. know everything it's going to take to get there is is a is a different story right so that's interesting which leads me into very nicely the 
the kind of the role now of the CDO and how that's evolved over time in tackling some of these challenges? How, how do you think that's changed? Because obviously you've been one of those people, right, on the inside yeah. of a humongous organization. How, how have you seen that change over the years? Yeah, tremendously, actually, right? So first of all, just because of the vibe around this, right, like data, 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 right, and high-tech firms and social media, and it's just there's a general vibe. People are more impressed in it, right? So even five years back, you know, trying to engage a business leader into this conversation was hard. Now there are CEOs talking about it. and What are we doing on data? <laughs> they have yeah. no idea what that question means, but they will ask them. <laughs> yeah. right? So that's, that's encouraging because then the organization runs around trying to find a good answer to that. It's very important, right? <clears throat> so fundamentally, things have changed because it's on the top of people's mind for various reasons, right? Control points still haven't gone away privacy controls, right? And now with data science coming in, even more complexities around that. Uh, so the serial rules for me is, is like, again, very multifaceted. You can look at it in terms of where the firm is in its evolution. What's the nature of the firm, right? Is it a legacy industry firm trying to innovate, You're starting from the basics? and then evolving fast. Is it a high-tech firm already doing everything digital and looking for more technical capabilities? W what is the role, right? Because there is no one role in serious, right? And anyone who tried to cut and paste that will, in my view, is not doing justice to the role, right? The role fundamentally is about driving value, right? Remember, we already said, it's set with information technology. The question is, what are you gonna do different now, right? And that different really is contextual. Right. right. So when you come in, you have to scan that. Yeah. Right. And I think that ownership also sits with the firms. They need to do that. And I think a lot of firms now, I'm, I'm actually quite encouraged, even in my previous firm, they engaged a consulting organization to first identify what those focus areas will be. So mm -hmm. a lot of organizations have now started to do that because they're realizing we don't even know what we are going for. Yeah. Right. So I would encourage more and more of that because you're doing actually a good service in, from the interview process onward. Now you can start to find the candidates who can start with where you are and, and can lay out the path to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Right. And where you want to be is very big. Most of the organizations, right? they will say, okay, yeah, of course, set up this control and regulation. Like that's easy. That's deterministic. Where you want to be is possibilities, right? And that's probabilistic. So people have a high level vision around, I want to see this. And people talk about, you know, data monetization. And I'm like, you're a regulated financial enterprise. Like what can you monetize, right? So I think, look, you have to kind of, you have to kind of get real in these conversations. Uh, but what they mean is something different, right? They just feel value from data, not yeah. like selling data. Uh, so the role is essentially evolving because by the nature of it, if you come to come in this role to drive value, you will solve things. As you solve things, you're automatically changing your role, right? So it's not that the industry is changing it. You should be changing it as you move forward because in the, in the, with the focus on value, you're solving certain basic things and now going towards that vision, which you laid out. A lot of people, it's hard, right? I mean, look, it's, it's hard. I was just very fortunate. Right? I mean, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. So like, you know, look, you know, I, I'm supposed to kind of catch up to all of this. And I'm not, of course, I'm not saying I'm perfect. There are so many great leaders in data I've met, but it's generally difficult to evolve because it requires different skills, not just on people side, on business knowledge side, but tech technical capabilities, right? I mean, again, the technical teams are so busy that even to deploy the frameworks for data, you have to play a pretty 
strong role in it as a CDO. You can't sit back and say that's IT. <clears throat> yeah. Right. You can't do that. I have never seen that work. You have to handhold it. Like even data operations, data stewardship, I have always seeded that, <clears throat> matured it, and then handed it over as an operation function. Just to say this belongs here, this belongs there. I mean, you know, yeah, you can be a coordinator for it, but it doesn't bring results necessarily. Yeah. Right? So I think part of the the answer, the way to answer that is, is <clears throat> it's evolving because it's supposed to evolve. Right? It's supposed to evolve because of the market factors, it's supposed to evolve based on the value and the progression you make within the firm, and it's supposed to evolve based on the needs. Yeah. So more you satisfy, right? Let's say you today crib about uh, some basic thing. I get bad quality data and I come in and let's just solve it, right? Then I sit down with you. Hey, Kyle, so what should you do next? You'll automatically come up with the next value part, right? So once you solve pains, people will, it opens up, right? To say, hey, look, what can we do now? Yeah. Uh, so that evolution is very natural and people should be looking forward to it in mind. Yeah, I completely agree. Obviously, in the line of work that we're in, right, the the first question that we always ask when we, you know, we we start to speak to organisations who are looking for a data leader, right, whatever that title is, is to understand what they want this person to do, right, and try to understand at what part of the journey they're at with this, and obviously the context by which they operate. Because as you very rightly said, if you're a very highly regulated investment management bank that is very different to being um you know i don't know a a, a retail shop that's exactly. solely online that sells sports shoes for example right it's a completely different ball game in terms of what's possible and what's important to that organization i think what i find fascinating and we we as, as i'm sure you'll be very well aware right we talk a lot in the industry about the tenure of a cdo Right. Yep. And and I'm kind of with you on this that I kind of feel like it's almost supposed to be that way because yep. really there's never going to be one person that can holistically take a business from where they are to where they want to get to. Yep. You know, if for example they're right at the start of that journey or you know, they've got an absolute um hellhole of you know data quality and governance issues well you probably need to go and find someone that's really good at that stuff and has a background in that right now two years down the line when you're looking at advanced analytics that's probably not going to be the right person for that job right so there's kind of an almost an evolution that needs to to happen and we probably just need to get comfortable at this level that you know okay i might be here for two or three years and then i might have to go and find something else and they might need you know they may need someone else who's got a a different type of skill set to me you know not in every case of course but i think that's broadly speaking um you know probably what we need to get comfortable at a minimum it should be made obvious right kyle so let's say we make it obvious right from the beginning then even the person who's in those shoes knows that either there will be another person handling that or you better grow into that yeah right uh, because that that person will play a pretty important role, right? If if she's setting up, let's say, all the basics, foundational things, and and that sets the organization towards a successful path, then she has a role to play in the next level, and she should be given the first option, right? Yeah. If she yeah. decides to exercise that option and she passes all the tests for you know being capable to do the next level, yeah. absolutely, that's the most preferred option. But if she doesn't, then she should be, in my view, as one of the leading uh, players in identifying and hiring that next candidate. Yeah, right? absolutely. Whether it's a colleague or whether it's the person who works for her, or it's like, it doesn't matter, right? But that expectation should be set right at the beginning. The challenge is 
teams who are hiring it, right? And it's very hard for CEOs or business heads to know these skills that, oh, you need a skill A to do this part of data. You need a skill B to do this part of data. So again, the burden falls on CDOs. You know, they need to do that. They need to say, here is how we'll progress. We don't know exactly what we'll like, you know, 100% certainty there'll be. No one can say we'll meet all quality controls in two years, right? But you can say we'll meet majority of the known issues based on what we have scanned. And then we will be on our way to get to the next thing, right? So, and and I think this is another thing, right? When you work for leadership in these organizations, these guys are like extremely ambitious and very fast moving, even with the complexity they deal with. So I was given like very ambitious paths. Like my, like (laughs) my last CEO used to draw like these verticals for every one and a half years. So every 18 months of completely new vertical, which needs to be put in place. Uh, very, very aggressive, right? We are forming teams. We are shaping the capabilities, like putting the IT things in place and people things in place. And then again, the next vertical is ready, right? So the pace is all about cultures, but everyone should think about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Um, we spoke earlier about kind of data management and the whole resurgence around the importance of, of that. Um, that itself has been on a bit of a, a kind of evolution, it, it seems. Do you think this change still needs to happen in the data management space for it to be kind of fit for purpose for the future? Oh, absolutely. It needs to become, first of all, a lot more agile, right? I mean, even today, people start with, I need to create a data hub, right? And say, that's fine. That's like the typical blueprint. But it does not solve your discovery needs. It does not solve your high volume data, right? Like perfect example, you know, work was working with a, he- a brand new head of marketing. Uh, she signed up for the first time, like, you know, tracking email traffic, market to kind of products, et cetera. And that, that, now that data is coming in, right? That is, no one has ever seen it. No one has ever thought about it. You can't put it in a data hub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And start doing like basic reference data linking with clients, etc. You have to be very innovative in these cases, right? So the data management principles of quality, linking, mastering, uh, they can be do they can be done very thoughtfully where the controls matter. And they can be done in a very agile way where the discovery and the insights matter. It's, it's still data management. Yeah. Right. And then you have to also constantly remember when something is found valuable in the discovery and insights, you may need to operationalize it. So what are your, what are your plans? Because you don't want to say, oh, now let me start from scratch again, right? Mm. Uh, so sustainability, right? It's a big focus for financial services, insurance, a lot of industries. I mean, every vendor produces close to 3,000 to 6,000 metrics on sustainability. It's like, it's mind boggling, right? A human capacity to consume sustainability metrics in comparison to everything else they're consuming may be five new ratings, mm. right? Mm. So how do you go from 3,000 to five? It's contextual. It's all about who is it for, right? Are you focused on climate? Are you focused on board governance? Are you focused on social equality? It's all ESG, right? Yeah. And, and hence, your five things are going to differ, and only you can tell what those five things are. So it's much better to engage people and say, what are those five things which matter to you? Let us enable that so that you can identify and prove it. And then let's think about how do we operationalize it. So data management has to shift. You can't keep it in the sequence. sequence. Again, then, you know, (laughs) okay, then then let's not blame anyone, right? When when 
organization says i'm not getting the value i need yeah, uh, yeah. So, so so i think it's uh, it has to shift and it has to become a lot more agile yeah do you think the kind of increase in kind of technology and tooling around the data management space is helping that is aiding that kind of more agile environment absolutely i mean look capabilities are critical right when you have such high volume high diversity data coming in uh, you need methods to whether it, whether it's data science and you know to to kind of help you in in linking that that stuff or uh, identifying anomalies on its own like there are a lot of tooling now not just tooling in the sense of technical tooling but these model driven capabilities which you if you create a right overlay you can help clients a lot right in terms of that discovery and insights uh, i mean something we are very focused on within clarista uh, and then you have to build on your knowledge right you need to know that you're not creating a completely different ecosystem which becomes a liability for your data management layers so how do you tie it all in how do you connect it back to your enterprise data framework uh, which is also something we are very focused on in clarista so i think it can be done right and it uh, it will grow this thing is going to grow right i mean if you look at all the data lakes and i tell people this all the time and when i'm talking to clients they'll say yeah you know what i have a warehouse i have a bi product and i just ask them hey like, right now we are having a conversation can you tell me what's in your warehouse they have no idea <laughs> no right yeah uh, oh yeah, we have a catalog. I said no, but do you know like what business value people are driving out of that? How they're using it, right? So I think we have to get much closer instead of building these structures and say our job is done. To much closer to how people are using this information and really enabling that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think as we spoke about earlier, I think often that's driven from. A, a lack of clarity at the start of that journey as to why organizations are doing this other than just broadly speaking there's value in here somewhere yeah. right you know because as we've both discussed now you get to this point where they go right let's build the data platform and then we'll yeah. kind of see where we're at and then and then we could decide what to do next right yeah. and then all of a sudden you've got you know you've got all of this technology and these platforms these tools and you know, you know it's fantastic it's great but you know yeah. what are we actually getting from that which is interesting so you started to speak there about a data lake um while we're on the topic of technology data lake data warehouse swamp swamp house lake house whatever <laughs> I've, I've lost track of where we're up to does, does it even matter how, how, what what in your opinion is best for value realization from a kind of lake perspective yeah so this is actually a very fun one so you know why these things were created historically people people often overlook that right we created warehouses to optimize storage around the fixed scope of data right we knew our operational data and systems data we said we will model it you remember like 20 years back we used to talk about with such big thick books on snowflake schemas and star <laughs> you know star schemas and you know dimension facts modeling and get it perfect and every question can be answered then because the data was fixed right then came the lake because the data started to evolve and becomes a swamp because it's not connected no one knows what's going on right so structures are not important what's important is with the new reality where you have the operational data and you have value driving kind of this discovery based data what is being used how you how you enabling the usage first and there you will deploy combinations you will have a lake to land like where you don't want to deal with schemas you want to make something available quickly you have large volumes of time series data you want to have distributed storage for it you will choose the store once you understand the value you are enabling right 
We have actually gone even further, Kyle, in, in, in Clarista to say, you should use it first before you choose to warehouse, hmm. right? So we, why we say we should we make this information ubiquitously available from any structure, because we want to say first use it, test it, unless you hit a decision point of either performance, I want this, this whole workload which I'm running, I want to run it in 10 seconds versus you know, 30 seconds or two minutes. Either it's a performance-driven decision where you say, okay, let me just schedule in warehouse. I don't want to run this on the fly. Or it is uh, an operational decision. I want it regularly, right? Yeah. I've proven it. I've tested it. Now I just want to. So there are there are things which you want to do in going forward around warehousing and all this thing once you know what you need, Yeah. right? But equally importantly, and this is another thing I ask, right? In the sequencing, you don't discard much because you don't know what is being used. So this usage-based transparency actually enables you to say, oh, I brought this in, people brought it in, but it's not no, no longer being used, I can discard it, right? So what we talk about nowadays is, uh, you know, warehouses happen, then marts happen. We talk about query-based warehousing. If something is important to you, it's like a mini version of a mart, right? It's very relevant, it's being regularly used, and your name is tied to it. Kyle uses this every day. That's where you want to be. And then you can choose, hey, should I put it in a lake or lake house or warehouse or, you know, I think this is just marketing, right? I mean, these are 30 to $50 billion firms. They can spend dollars on marketing and confuse the hell out of you in terms of <laughs> and whatnot. These are just structures and you should first decide how you're driving that value and what was the nature of the data sometimes, right? Like there is a space for key value pairs. There is a space for relation. There is a space for blobs. But it's all driven by value. It's not driven at all and should never be driven by someone centrally thinking, how should I put everything together before I start to drive back? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, makes makes perfect uh, perfect sense. So we, we, we touched on very early in the conversation about culture, right? And there's this whole kind of concept now within our industry that, you know, culture being kind of pinned up and labeled as one of the reasons why the adoption doesn't occur and therefore why we're not getting as much value as we were expecting or we should do or you know whatever the case may be and then tied to that is a whole host of things around literacy and all of this type of stuff sure. right is is there really in your mind such a thing as a data culture uh, honestly i don't think so <laughs> right interesting and the reason is did you ever hear about someone saying, do we have a technology culture? Do we have a process culture, right? I think sometimes it's the helplessness of, say, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but it's almost like I keep getting blamed for not producing value. It's a culture issue, mm. right? And from that, you can say, you know, we don't have the data culture. But like, you know, you talk to a normal person, let's say, you know, a colleague in, in, in operations, like they're like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. Seriously, yeah. unless like it's not it's unless it's natural for people to understand people culture everyone gets right there are some 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 basic principles of what a healthy culture and operating environment should look like i mean you create mixed things like data and culture it actually confuses people right what are they supposed to do as soon as they say hear a word data culture what am i supposed to do to contribute right so there are some basic things and i would like to keep it basic versus calling it culture that look, first is, is it valuable to you, right? 
If it's valuable to you, forget whether it's a culture thing or technology thing or a process thing. Let's just focus on what is it that generates that value, right? Mm -hmm. If it is part of a responsibility discussion to say, look, it's valuable to others, but you have a responsibility towards it. There, the way we used to approach it is like, if you are entering something, you own it. I'm sorry, right? This idea that I have to now come up with a concept of ownership beyond what you have entered into a system is wrong. What I can do is generate awareness on how it's being used. Because once you know how the information and entering is being used outside your function, now you at least know that you need to take care in entering. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, look, it's basic things like we used to have these asterisk on required fields in a system, right? I mean, it's like 50-year-old problem because people knew something is mandatory. Please enter it. Right? Yeah. Uh, so I think, and then, yeah, there are a lot of fudging and, and those things where people will misuse those fields. I get all that. But once you first ask the education of, is there value in this information? Who is the person who's benefiting? Who's the group who's benefiting from that value? And then it's sharing and educating back on the, to the people who are authoring it and say, we need you to do a better job at it, right? Then remember, Without measurement, there is no nothing, right? I mean, so you have to then say, how do you measure? Like, do you have checkpoint beyond the system to say, is, has it been entered to, to a satisfactory stage where it can be valuable, where it can be used? So I think quality measurements and all that come in. So it's a, it's a, it's a knowledge sharing part. It's not a culture part. It's to say, look, beyond your own function, there are people who benefit from what you're doing. They, you know, they, but they struggle with it and they correct it then at that stage. So why not correct it here? And by the way, here is a measurement layer for you, right? For you and your team to just measure if something has not been entered in a timely fashion. And yes, if you don't attend to it, then it will get automatically escalated to your manager, right? right? So I think it's not so much of a culture as if it's about awareness of why that's useful, right? Uh, I, I, I hesitate to call it a cultural problem because then someone has to understand that as soon as you say it. and i don't think many people will get that yeah yeah it's a very it is it is a difficult conversation to 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 have right because i guess there's so much a, a lot of this stems from the concept of there needing to be a lot of kind of change management control around how we yeah. operate to utilize data better right which in turn drives value and i think it's quite yeah. easy you know i think that's why it's all been kind of you know bumbled together and we've come up with this you know do we have a data culture which you know as you said will as with most words in our industry mean different things to different yeah. people right so um, yeah. yeah so look conscious of time Savra, but i guess where i'd love to end is just to get your advice if there's other data leaders out there that are kind of on this journey and they're trying to you know realize value out of data and analytics just give us a few kind of key snippets of what they should kind of keep in mind to to do that yeah so i think for 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 me the first thing is i feel data data leadership is a very very powerful role right it's a it's a very responsible role and it should come with that humility that you can try your best and you'll fall short mm. right yeah. Because it's very personal. But the benefit here is, which very few roles are like that, they are sitting at the fulcrum of driving value for an organization. I mean, as we said, how many functions are positioned to drive value for an organization, right? But because it's very personal, because it needs to be function by function, person by person, 
they also have to, they're sitting on the other side of all the capabilities which need to follow. Engagement, technology, right? Uh, the controls, uh, the measurements, right? All these are capabilities towards that value. And if you choose to take a role in that, you have to have that humility. That's going to be hard. I mean, if anyone is walking into this with the idea, it looks really nice and shiny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's uh, maybe the first three, four months, right? Or maybe two months, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> depending on the organization patients. It's a hard role, but a very, very powerful role, right? And so people should feel, I always felt when I started to get these roles, I felt very lucky. I felt very, very fortunate to be able to exercise this skill towards this role. And one thing I've learned throughout is there is never a lack of more, right, at a personal level. And it's a lot of kind of engagement which is required at that personal level. So you have to, as a data leader, balance engagement with capability. Every time you'll swing the pendulum too hard on capability development. Oh, I'm going to build this structures and data lakes, and I'm going to form a big team of data science. You're going to lose that battle. If you're only engaging and talking about it, you're going to lose that battle. And people, after a while, like I've met with you like four times. <laughs> what are we doing about it, right? Yeah. So, so you have to take that balance constantly, and you have to tell people on what's your view of that balances, right? That's where the steering committee and whatnot helps. So, this is what we are doing. To the capacity we have and how we are engaging. Do you have a different view? Should we be operating differently, right? Uh, so look, I mean, it's a it's, if the role is has a chief in it, right? Chief analytics, chief data. It's like it's the only role I have seen, right? Like after maybe in last twenty years, which has gone in with the chief. Right? I mean, may, I mean, a few more. Let's say, in a chief compliance officer was always there. I mean, they were most of the functions were there, right? Uh, so this is a new one, right? Yep. And it's a new one on top of existing functions. And the only definition is driving value. So it's a tough one, right? <laughs> yep. It's not like this function or this something just didn't exist. There was a gap. And now people said we'll form like a new chief function. But if you choose to take it, it's a very powerful one. And it's a very, it's a, it's a something you can be very proud of, you know, day over day as you enable the organization. But yeah, you have to strike that balance sitting at that fulcrum in my view. Mm, yeah, that's uh, that's really good advice and, and a perfect note to end on, Savrat. So, um, look, really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a, a very, very insightful conversation. And, um, yeah, we'll leave you to enjoy your rest of your afternoon. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how you guys and girls at Clarista get on. I think you'll be a, a huge success. So I'm looking forward to watching that unfold. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.